child of God, I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at your neighbor and assure them that God loves them. Would you do that? How many of you know these characters in our first slide there? Can you name them for me? Who's got the football? Who's on the ground? What usually has happened? She pulls the football up so he can't kick it and falls down. Lucy stands over Charlie Brown in these situations. And Charlie says, Lucy, you must be more loving. This world really needs love. You have, uh, you have let yourself love to make this world, uh, you have to let yourself love to make this world a better place. Lucy says very sternly to her friend Charlie Brown that she has allowed to fall on the ground. Look, blockhead, the world I love, it's people I can't stand. Maybe you understand like Lucy, huh? If I just had to love a few things in the world, I could make it. But God put people in the world, and we have to love them, don't we? And they're hard to love sometimes, aren't they? <laughs> Some people are hard to love. You remember I've mentioned before that oftentimes there are sandpaper people that come into our lives. In other words, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to always rub them the wrong way. Uh, I know that I do that in people's lives. Uh, I know some of them do that in my life, but I'm, I'm working very hard to not let there be a sandpaper person in my life because I want to do everything I can to be at peace with all men if, if it's at all possible within me. And it starts in my heart. See, I can't expect you to be different unless I'm different. Amen? I can't expect you to love if I don't love. I can't expect you to forgive if I can't forgive. I'm sure from time to time we feel like Lucy. Uh, perhaps some of you feel that way right now. You're so mad and upset at somebody that you're ready to spit nails and you're trying to sit here in church and be spiritual, and it's really hard for you. It's really hard. Loving people around us can be a major challenge, and that's why this series that we're doing this month in 1 Corinthians 13, I hope and pray will help <clears throat> each of us become a better lover of people. We need to know what love is. We need to know what it looks like in the nitty-gritty parts of our lives. And there's a sense in which love is difficult to define <clears throat> but easy to describe. Uh, this week I looked up the word love in the dictionary, found 18 definitions. Read all of them, didn't feel a bit more loving after reading all of them, 18. Perhaps the truth is closer to this. You know it when you see it. Love is better seen than defined. Love is better seen than defined. 
This leads me to a familiar observation that love is not primarily a feeling, but an action. We live in an age that honors personal feelings above almost everything else. We do what we want when we want because we feel like it. And if, I, if we don't feel like it, then we don't do it. Church is one of those. People have a tendency, if they don't feel like going to church, well, they're not going to get them to go. <coughs> if they felt the same way tomorrow morning when they had to get up and drive to work, they would get up and drive to work because they feel like they have to go, gritting their teeth the whole way. Huh? But church is one of those things that we think <coughs> we don't necessarily have to do. I can skip it and it'll be okay. And you know what? You're probably right. You're probably right. In fact, I talked to a lady this week who told me, she said, oh, I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. I said, well, that doesn't make sense. Then she said, well, I've been hurt by so many churches. <laughs> no, you've been hurt by so many people in the church. She's, then she said, well, they're so full of hypocrites. I said, well, you're going to fit right in. That's exactly what I told her. Because then I said, because we're all hypocrites, aren't we? You know, lowers the head. <laughs> Isn't it funny the excuses we give for not wanting to serve the Lord and not wanting to love other people? It's really, seems what, it's easier to hold a grudge for some reason. Last week we surveyed the first three verses of our section here in 1 Corinthians 13 and discovered that loving people and loving God is more important than eloquent communication, spiritual gifts, or personal sacrifice. And if we all have the attractive fundamentals of true religion but don't have love, we really don't have anything at all. I mean, you can look really, really pious and really righteous and really holy, but if you can't love people, what good are you? Had a little lady come by this week, and our pantry's getting low. We need to maybe put a push out for food again on our pantry. And uh, she said, Pastor, can I get, I mean, she's driving a $40,000 pickup. And she comes to the door and says, uh, do, you, do you still have the pantry? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, my daughter needs food. And I thought, well, sell your truck. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I said, yes, ma'am. Come in, we'll get what we can. And so when we go back and look at our pantry, and it's starting to get a little threadbare, all I had really was canned goods. And I kept looking at her face, and she didn't really want all those canned goods. And that's all I had. And she reluctantly took them and said she was grateful. But you know what? All we can do is what we can do. And right behind that, I had another call. And I have his electricity turned off if, if we don't help him. <laughs> he said he's on, uh, uh, he has a machine for breathing. That PSOs turn his power off. Well, I think it's against the law for them to do that if you have a health issue in the home. But um, I went ahead and listened to his plea. Listened to his plea. But we got to love people. And so I, I had to lovingly tell him, and we had, I wasn't lying to him, we had just helped someone, not only the lady in the pantry, but we'd helped somebody else. And so the fund that we use for that, uh, you know, we try to keep it for our church folks as much as we can. There will always be needs out there. The poor, Jesus said, you'll have with you always. 
but we've got to love people. We pick up today starting in uh, verses, verse 4 through verse 6, and we find 11 descriptive words about love. The first one is in verse 4, and we learn that love has a choice. Love has a choice. Look what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. In the King James, it says it suffereth long. Now, that just sounds really biblical. It suffereth long. It's, what it means is it's never tired of waiting. Never tired of waiting. How many of you have a favorite pet at home? Dog, cat, bird, I don't know, iguana. Have you noticed that pets don't have any problem waiting for you? They'll wait. And when you come home, it's as though you'd never left. Oh, ta wet tail just going. I don't know how cats don't wag their tails, do they? What do cats do? I I'm not a cat person. So. They ignore you, okay. Well, maybe they So you walk in the door and the cat goes, hmm, <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm just, I'm a dog type person, and my dog, boy, she, her whole body gets into it, you know. Because they're just, they'll wait. They'll patiently wait. And when you get home, they're ready to spend whatever time you're going to let them have. That's awesome. Yours does? <laughs> well, we could make some money off of that dog. <laughs> That's awesome. The Greek word here in this verse means long-minded. Long-minded. So love is slow to give in to resentment, slow to despair, slow to anger. And it's a particular word that Paul uses, means to have patience with difficult people rather than having patience in difficult circumstances. Having patience with people. And that's the hardest thing to do. I went to the doctor Friday. He wanted to check my blood pressure because it's been tracking a little bit high. I get there at my appointed time at 1130. Well, actually, I got there at 11 because I'm always early. Drives my wife nuts, but that's just me. So I'm there early thinking, oh, surely they'll work me in early, right? It's noon before I get to see him. I'm scheduled at 1130. I'm 30 minutes late, and I'm sitting over there, and I'm going, what is going on? These people going in in front of me. I ain't even getting a call back. That thought crossed my mind, and then I began to pray. God, could it be that the doctor is overextended today? Could it be that the doctor is very busy today? And the doctor stuck his head through the window and said, Harold, quickly, come on back. So I went back. He said, I've got a lady that I'm having x-rays done. He said, I'm going to get you through in between the x-rays. What'd that tell me? He's a very busy man today. But he took enough time to spend some time with me. And I appreciate that. So God taught me another lesson. Just sit there. Just sit there and be patient. We need to learn to be patient. But it's hard, isn't it? Especially hard with some people. If you're in the line at Walmart, it's hard to be patient with that checker who actually absolutely has no idea what life's all about. They, have, they are moving stuff across the scanner so slow that you could do it better than they do. I mean, it's, like, it's as if they didn't have any arm strength at all. They're just, they're just kind of flailing a hand up there to kind of grab something and maybe spin it across. Then you go oh, okay. Then you go self-service. <laughs> Describes in the early days of the Civil War, Edwin Stanton was outspoken in his criticism for Abraham Lincoln. 
He held Lincoln in utter contempt, calling him a gorilla and a cunning clown. He held Lincoln in such contempt that everyone knew how he felt. They knew about his slanders, and even Lincoln knew, but he never retaliated. And when time came to choose someone to oversee the war effort, Abraham Lincoln chose Edwin Stanton. And when asked why he chose him, he said, because he's the best man for the job. When the president was assassinated in April of 1865, Edwin Stanton stood over Lincoln's body weeping and declared this, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Patient love won in the end. The second word we find is that love is kind. The word means something like sweet usefulness. Love is quick to help others and eager to reach out to those in need. Perhaps you've seen or heard this famous quote, I shall pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Mark Twain called kindness a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can read. He's absolutely right. Everyone can understand the language of love, and it's truly a universal language, comprehended by people from every nation, by rich, by poor, by old, by young, male and female. Kindness is a universal language, for it does not speak to the intellect, but directly to the heart. I struggle with, some of these kids are peer tutors for, in high school, and they work with, with kids that are handicapped in some way. You can make fun of them. They're easy to make fun of because they do silly things. Say silly things. Act silly. But it takes a real man of God, woman of God, to not do that. To stand up for the helpless. To protect those that are so-called not normal. <laughs> Church I worked in in Oklahoma City the preacher had a son who was Down syndrome. His name was Chris. Chris is still living today. Chris is 40 years old. Chris wasn't supposed to live this long. Chris lives in a home. His dad's close, and brother close. His brother bought him a cell phone at Christmas. He thought, well, this will help Chris communicate. So at 3.15 the next morning, Chris called his brother. And his brother said, what is it, Chris? He said, I just want to see if it works. <laughs> he said, it works. At 5.45, Chris called back. Are you still there? Yes, Chris, I'm still here. This is neat. And the brother then contemplated as he tried to fall back to sleep, what mistake did I make? Paul Harvey tells of a man named Carl Coleman who was driving to work when a woman motorist <clears throat> passing too close snagged his fender with hers. Both cars stopped. The young woman surveying the damage was in tears, and it was her fault. She admitted it. It was a, a new car less than two days off the showroom floor. How was she ever going to face her husband? And Mr. Coleman was sympathetic, but he explained that uh, they must now you know, exchange each other's license number and automobile registration and insurance information. The woman reached into the glove compartment of her car to retrieve the documents in an envelope. And on the first paper, the first paper to fall out or tumble out was in a heavy masculine scrawl were these words on a piece of paper. In case of an accident, remember, honey, it's you I love, not the car. 
The third descriptive word we find in our text is that of envy. Love does not envy. It's the sin of thinking others have too much and you have too little. It seems like we live in a culture like that. If you're successful, you're penalized. If you're not, you're praised. I don't get that. But then again, that's why they looked at Jesus the way they did. <laughs> because he was claiming to be so full of God that they couldn't believe that he would eat with sinners. So full of God, he claimed being God himself, he would claim, and yet they would watch him hang around little kids out in the dirt. By contrast, love is generous. It does not begrudge others their gifts. How do you respond to the good fortune of others if they do better than you, if they prosper when you don't, if their family seems happy while yours is torn apart? How do you react if they achieve what you cannot, if they gain what you lack, if, you, if they win where you lose, then the truth comes out. Can you lose gracefully? That's the beautiful part about sports is you also have to learn to lose gracefully. You're not going to win every game. Just ask the San Francisco 49ers. Just ask them. They've never played in a Super Bowl and didn't win. Till now. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now with a quarterback named Flacco? <laughs> it was so obvious this year when we played Union. You know my utter love and gracefulness that I love at, at Union High School. But when we played them in the semifinal game, it was so obvious that they thought they were supposed to win because four years in a row they have won. And we deserve this. It reminded me of the Jinx Trojans when they had won six in a row and just to show up, that's all they needed to do. Hmm. No, you still have to play a game. You still have to get in the car tomorrow and drive to work and deal with that person at your job. <laughs> They're beyond sandpaper. Today, when you get home, you're still going to have to deal with that husband, that spouse that you're having. <laughs> Those kids that you're ready to prayerfully send back to the Lord. <clears throat> See, you've got to learn that there's a winner and there's a loser, but in Christ, you're never a loser. Oh, you might be on the scoreboard, but you're not a loser. It's not getting knocked down. That's the problem. It's staying down. That's the problem. Get up. Get up. Because your king still sits on the throne. Get up. If finances have knocked you completely down, get up because your king is in charge of a cattle on a thousand hills. If you've been beat up and health is going downhill, just rejoice in the Lord because you're going to be all right. Because if you lose this life, you gain because you get to be with the Lord forever. How? <laughs> That's it. Heaven, I don't want to go right now. What are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of death. There's the enemy. There's the enemy. 
You win either way as a believer in Jesus. So if life is knocking you down, don't stay down. Don't stay down. I'll guarantee you, if you live long enough, you're going to encounter people who have more talent than you and do it better than you. I know for some of you, this can be hard to understand. You're going to find somebody who can cook better than you. I can't imagine. We've got some tremendous cooks in this church. I can't imagine I'd find somebody who cooks better than them. But I bet they're all. I can't, I can't imagine anybody singing better than I do. I mean, really, come on. Really. Come on. Until my children get up. They outsing me all the time. I used to sit with tears and, and watch my son's performance musicals at the high school. And Jeff especially. He, he started to pack. And now to have him here assisting in our worship teams. And, oh, man. I sit back in the back and just sometimes I can't sing because I, I tear up because of what God's doing through his life. He's wanting to learn to play the mandolin. What? That's not even a real instrument. It's like a shrink ray on a guitar. Come on. But I'll guarantee he'll learn how to play it. Why? Because he has the determination to do it. That's the beauty of it. Somebody's going to be better than you. So you've got to keep working so that you're just as good. You see. I didn't think anybody would ever pass Jerry Rice's record as a receiver. But we had one do it this year. Oh, goofy Calvin Johnson out of Detroit. Fourth word in our list is love does not boast, it does not brag, is not pompous or conceited, has not exalted opinion of itself, doesn't have an exalted opinion of itself, is not eager to gain the applause of others. The Greek word here for boast means something like windbag. Isn't that a great description? Those who are boasters are just windbags. <laughs> you ever been around somebody that all they can do is talk about themselves? Every conversation, every bit of the conversation is all about them. You could have had the bubonic plague. Theirs was worse. You could have had cancer of the left leg, lower part of your leg, that had to amputate it and put in an artificial limb. They grew a new leg back. Right? You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Everything's about them. Every, I tell you, they've done everything. They've been part of everything. You can say you took a trip to Greece and saw whatever. I'll guarantee you, they've been there. They were there when it was built. <laughs> you know, braggers. Braggers. Sometimes we're better off when we just don't say anything. Once upon a time, a turtle wanted to spend the winter in Florida, but he knew he could never walk that far. So he convinced a couple of geese to help him. Each took an end of a piece of rope, and he clamped his vice-like vice jaws on the rope, and off they went. Flight was going really, really well. until <laughs> so somebody from the ground looked up and said, Wow, who in the world thought of that? Well, unable to resist the chance to take credit, the turtle opens his mouth. He says, I did. <laughs> See, sometimes it's just best to keep your mouth shut, isn't it? Fifth word is love is not proud. The King James says it's not puffed up. I love that descriptive phrase, puffed up. I've met a lot of puffed up people in my life. Met a lot of puffed up athletes. They walk in and think they're the reason that the whole team is going to be successful. I love our young people. I love them. 
I love watching them develop and mature. This year, watched a group of young men on that football team really come together. The one that I was most proud of, I think, is, is probably Braden as a senior. Uh, gets his foot broken <laughs> on the second play or third play of the game. Won't come out of the game. His dad said, well, you can sit down. He said, dad's hurting. He said, you can sit down. He said, I ain't going to quit. Halftime, they retape it, and he comes out, and he looks like he's feeling like a million bucks. But he wouldn't come off the field. He wouldn't quit. Even though they were a passing team and all that stuff, he wouldn't quit because there was a couple of plays that had he not been at that position, probably would have cost him. But what I'm excited about is when I, call, when I say, hey, is this the champ I'm talking to? And he'll do, it's so funny because he'll stop every time. He'll just grin. He gets that goofy grin on his face. <laughs> Looks like his dad when he's grinning. He's grinning all the time. And I said, do you ever get tired of hearing that? He goes, no. Because <laughs> you know when you put out so much of your life, so much effort in your life, and you see something like that, well, you want to you bathe in that success, don't you? But you know what I love about him is he didn't brag about it. We've got a young man sitting on the front row up here, Tyler Thomas, freshman, brought him up to varsity. He could be really, he could walk around with his head on his shoulder all the time from having that big old head. We were playing Westmore, five-yard line. The middle opened up except for Tyler and their running back. And they were fixing to score. I, I just looked and I went, oh, he'll juke him and be around him. He tried, and Tyler hit him so hard it lifted him off of his feet, and he never got past the five-yard line. That 14-year-old freshman stopped a touchdown and who knows what it would have stopped as the, if the game would have turned around. You, don't, you never know. But I'm telling you, there's so much that we can be proud of within our young people, and there's so much I can be proud of with you. You've called when, you're, when you've lost your job. And you said, but I know God's going to provide. <laughs> you said, that's faith, isn't it? You've called when you said, I've got to have a surgery, and I don't know, you know, the doctors are giving me all this information. I don't know what's going to come, but I just need peace. And we get through praying, and you said, man, I've got peace. That's success, folks. That's, a, that's heavenly success. That's supernatural success. That's where we want to go. That's where we want to live. That's where we want to be. We don't need to brag about it. We don't need to be proud about it. We just need to let, let God have complete control of us. Verse 5, love's refusal. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And the sixth word in our list is not rude. King James says it does not behave itself unseemly. Covers a lot of territory when you read that phrase. On one level, it means that love is not ill-mannered. It does nothing that, will, uh, that you'll be ashamed of later. If you work for somebody, make sure that your behavior doesn't show any bad light on your employer. Anything you say, anything you do, doesn't show any bad light on your employer. How many of you think it's okay to take pins that have the emblem of the company on it to just take them? Except here, I tell you, you can take them. <laughs> and I'm not the owner, but we all are. But I want you to take the pins that we have. Why? So they're witnessing to it when you just give them away. Next time you're at a restaurant and you sign your card, just leave your pin there so it's a witness. See what I'm saying? I want to try to put things in your hand and let you witness. You're going to see some invite cards showing up here pretty quick. I'm going to start having you invite people. I want you to take two. I want you to get rid of them. Come back and get two more. Get rid of them. Come back and get two more. 
prior to Easter. I want you to bring as many people as you can. I'd love it if we could. We had only standing room only at church on Easter. Huh. We only have 150 of these, so if we have 151, somebody got to stand. Well, I guess I'll stand. But anyway, so if we have 152, somebody's going to have to stand. Would some of you give up your chair to let somebody else stand? And you stand, let them sit? You know, I, I believe some of you would. I believe it. There may be some of you, though, that would say, well, I don't know about that preacher. <laughs> Well, after all, they're just coming on Sunday, Easter Sunday. I'm here every week. I know, isn't that great? That's great, isn't it? <laughs> so on Easter, don't, don't sit down Easter. Just come line the walls. And then if there's an empty seat, when we get started, you can sit down. Okay, whatever you The visitor would go, what is going on here? <laughs> Say, man, we're lining up. We're going to get you. No, I'm just teasing. Sarcasm. Sarcasm is what we use a lot. And we try to cover it by saying, oh, I was only kidding. No, if you were only kidding, you would have never said it. So if you've got to shoot sarcasm out of somebody and then cover it by saying you're only kidding about it, you've already inflicted the harm in that person's heart. And we're supposed to go, oh, okay, <laughs> when I'm the butt of the joke. I don't think so. I don't think so. Like I said last week, hit me in the face with a pie. Or I'm going to turn and hit you in the face with a brick. This retaliation eye for an eye here, man. Tell you what. I'm also speaking to our wonderful young people here on the front and our wonderful adults out behind them. <coughs> Seventh word is love is not self-seeking, takes no, no thought of itself, does not demand its own way, is not stubborn about things that don't matter. Love never says my way or the highway. Love says let's do it Jesus' way. Love serves and doesn't worry about the, the, who gets the credit. Eighth word, lo love is not easily angered. It's a quality that I always stop and think about when I read this chapter. It's not easily angered. It, it's a quality that seems to come too close to my life for comfort because I let things get to me faster than I should. I'm adopting a phrase that says, take a deep breath and just calm down. And I keep telling myself that. It's like the mom in the store when the child is just going nuts and the mom is saying, now, 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 now Billy, Billy, just, just, just calm down. Everything's going to be okay. He gets to the next row and, 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 you know, Billy, Billy, just calm down. Everything's going to be all right. I guarantee it's going to be all right. Just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay, Billy. Billy, everything's good. Well, this woman kind of followed her through the store and noticed and then pulled, tugged on her arm and said, Ma'am, I just want to compliment you on how you're uh, encouraging your uh, child, Billy, to be calm. She said, Oh, no, no, my name's Billy. <laughs> my name's Billy. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just have to talk to ourselves and say, Calm down, Billy. Everything's going to be all right. Because it looks like it's out of control. Love is not easily provoked. It's not quick-tempered. does not blow its top. It's not easily angered. It's not irritable. By contrast, love is good-natured, easy-going, quick, quick to forgive. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Don't follow them an inch away from their bumper thinking you're going to make a difference. I say that because that's what I try to do. I don't. What, what good is it? What good does it do? Just back off. And by the, as fast as they had to get to the stoplight, you roll right up behind them, don't you? Every time. It's the funniest thing. I think most of us tend to look at things as minor, especially this one, about being quick-tempered. It's merely a matter of temperament, personality, family background. I mean, we excuse it by saying, well, that's just the way I am. Really? Well, then you need to be different. But that's just the way you are, and you, you're worthless. Change. Because nobody likes it. You don't even like it. And you know it. Be honest. 
change. Change, it'll do you some good. Don't be quick-tempered. Maybe the way you're, you are, but it's not the way you're supposed to be. Over 100 years ago, Henry Drummond wrote a beautiful, wonderful, short treatment of 1 Corinthians 13 when he said, and he called it the greatest thing in the world. And regarding this particular phrase, he said, the peculiarity of ill temper is that it's the vice of the virtuous. It's often the one blot on an otherwise noble character. You know men who are all but perfect and women who would be entirely perfect, but for an easily ruffled, quick-tempered, or touchy disposition. Let him that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. If you can control every part of your life except your temper, oh my goodness, get hold of it. Because it definitely has a hold of you. I know some people excuse bad tempers by saying, sure, I lose my temper a lot, but it's all, all over in a few minutes. Well, so is a nuclear bomb. The devastation is still there, you see. Bad temper is a symptom of a terrible disease within your soul. It's an escaping bubble that reveals a rotten pit deep within you. Ninth word is love keeps no record of wrong suffered. King James says that love thinketh no evil. It does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not impute evil, does not brood over injuries suffered, is not suspicious of others, not cynical about good deeds done by others, is not quick to remember a personal offense done by others. Warren Worsby, great Bible teacher and scholar and preacher, said that he once knew a man who actually kept a written list of the rotten things people had done to him. He also said that man was one of the most miserable people he had ever known because many people keep mental lists of the slights that they have suffered. They never get over what happened in the past. They dwell on it, live in it, ferment in it, and as a result, they let the past shape their present and their future because they'll never Ever let it go. Find yourself there. But true love has a bad memory of wrong things done to it. Love is quick to hit the delete key. Love is always ready to say, I'm putting that in the past and I'm, I won't bring it up anymore. That's Almighty God. When you come and pray and ask forgiveness, He goes, okay, sounds good. And He just wipes it as though it never happened. Shouldn't we treat each other that way? Amen? I'll wait. Amen? Okay. Verse 6, love's outlook. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Tenth word, love does not delight in evil, takes no pleasure in wrongdoing, is not glad about injustice. Love is not happy when evil triumphs. It takes no joy in hearing evil openly discussed. Love is never glad to hear bad news about another person. Love never says, well, they finally got what they deserved. Love is never happy to hear that a brother or sister falls into sin. Love does not enjoy passing along bad news. And it certainly goes along with the grain of modern life because if it's bad news, it's on the front page. If it's good news, it's on page 75. Why do you think they put all these tabloid uh, magazines uh, right there by the checkout stand? So while you're waiting in line and being patient with that checker, you can read about some Kardashian crisis. <laughs> or somebody who lost weight, gained weight, and lost it again. They've lost nine people in the last six months. <laughs> Juicy gossip. Mm, can't wait, can't wait. Church is full of it. Juicy gossip. Mm, 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 mm. We don't call it gossip at church, though. We call it, let's pray for them. I have a prayer need, and then you begin to share that prayer need, and really it's just pure gossip because you don't know for sure that it's really in that person's life. But somebody told you it was, so it must be true. 
If somebody tells you and you haven't heard from that person, then you ought to say, hey, wait a minute. Let me go talk to him. I want to make sure this story is true. So then the person who told you says, oh, well, you don't trust me. I'm a liar. Well, they had to bring that up. Must be not. You see what I'm saying? Hmm. Hmm. I don't trust anybody because Satan can tempt and use anybody. But I love everybody. I need to love everybody. But the best thing we can do in life is keep our mouth shut. Only to say good things, graceful things, encouraging things, and positive things. Amen? Isn't that better? You even smile when you say those words. <laughs> you see. All that would be about that business. Eleventh word is that love rejoices with the truth, which is the flip side to our previous word. Love takes joy in what's true, good and right and holy and pure. Love cheers whenever the truth wins out. It's glad to know that suspicions were unfounded. Love believes the best and is glad when the verdict is not guilty. When you heard that Victory Christian Center was having trouble and some guys were doing some sexual things they shouldn't have done, and boy, they've been arrested. Didn't you, didn't you just a part of you go, boy, I'm glad that big old church is going to come down now. <laughs> and what of them's the preacher's son and daughter-in-law? <laughs> There's just something evil. Satan is alive and well. And rather than rejoice in the evil, let's pray for the truth. Let's believe the right things far above what we do beyond the right things. Let's believe them. Somebody may say, I hate my husband. Those are, those are tough words. And they go against our basic nature when we hear them. We live in a world that talks about love in generic terms. I love you and why don't we roast some chestnuts on an open fire? But the kind of love that the Bible talks about is in short supply. And even in the church, we tend to pass right over this passage because we've heard it so many times at weddings and it just seems more romantic than realistic. How can we live this way? How can we truly love without envy, without a quick temper, without seeking our own interests, without thinking evil of others? And the answer is we can't. We can't. In ourselves, we have no power to live that way. But when you're connected to Almighty God through Jesus Christ, your Savior, your Lord, your Master, you, you can live with this kind of love. Oh, yes, you can. It's hard when it's, and I say, oh, let's go give it to college try this week. Boy, let's really love people. And you leave here going, man, I'm going to love people. And then you get outside in the parking lot and have to get in the car with that person that you're having a hard time loving. And all of a sudden it goes from, you see, you can't do it on your own, but you can do it with Almighty God living in you. Never, we never talk ourselves into loving like this, and the sooner we admit it, the better off we'll be. It's not some kind of rah-rah competition so we can sit out and prove our love by enthusiasm. Sooner or later, we have to get down to the bottom of the matter and the, admit the truth. Oh, God, I hate my husband. I hate my wife. I can't stand my children. My parents are driving me nuts. I hate the people I work with. I don't like the folks at church. I don't like my neighbors. I can barely stand to see my own family. Oh, God, help me. <laughs> I don't love anyone right now. And even though no one else knows it or sees it, you're an angry person filled with bad thoughts and completely lacking any kind of love. And if you don't help me, I will never love anyone because I know I can't change the way I am. Lord God, please help me. Guess what? And then you say, change me. Guess what? He'll respond to those kind of prayers. 
It's when you pray damnation on somebody. When you, when you pronounce damnation on somebody, be careful what you do. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. But we need to be ready and quick to bring praises and honor and glory to Almighty God. I was having a struggle this week with a person. I'm not afraid to admit it. I was. I was having a real struggle. I felt like they had lied to me. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if you don't want to meet with me, tell me. Just don't lie to me about it, right? Well, I felt they lied to me until I had a chance to sit down. And, and for the first time, I expressed that to them in as loving a way as I could of why I felt the way I did. They said, you look disappointed. I said, it's a little deeper than that. So I told them. And it crushed their spirit. Because they in no way, they in no way were wanting that to be a reality. And I said, well, you know, communication's a great thing. And if we can just say to each other what it is that maybe we couldn't meet, well, just a quick text message will solve the issue. A quick phone call will solve the issue. But when you leave a person assuming, that's when Satan has his best work. So even in me this week, I struggled with that. But I was so grateful that I was able to express to this person where I felt. And we reconciled. It was an instant reconciliation. And to me, it's over and done with. Over and done with. And that's the way we need to be. Because God treats you and me that same way. When we come asking for help, he brings it. When we come needing assistance, he's ready to give it to us. And so as I come to the end here, I want you to give you some homework. I want you to take some time this week, and I want you to consider, consider those 11 qualities of love that were in this passage. So in your Bible, I hope you still have your Bible open. And I want you to look at verses 4, 5, and 6. And there's 11 words that are there. And what I want you to do for your homework <clears throat> is I want you to circle the three that you find the greatest struggle with right now in your life. What are the three that I've talked about this morning out of those 11? I'm just asking for three out of the 11 that you find the hardest part in your life right now to practice. How do you measure up with those? Then I want you to draw a box around the words with the three that you find you're doing pretty good at. See, I don't want to leave you just negative with the circles. I want you to go with some boxes about where you're seeing some victory in your life. So three out of the 11, having struggled with. Three out of the 11, you're doing pretty good with. And guess what? Once you get those six picked out, you're over halfway there. And who can get you the rest of the way? Almighty God. Almighty God. Father, I ask you this week in the lives of your people here is that you continue to do a mighty work in each of their lives. And Father, I'm also asking for a second part of this assignment. Just seven weeks away from Easter, I'd like to challenge these folks to read 1 Corinthians 13 in its entirety every day for those next six weeks. Seven weeks. And Father, if you would Help them, help them to read these verses. Help them to tattoo these verses on their soul, to emblazon these words on their soul, to engrave these words on their soul. And Father, if they would begin to make these words a living, active part of their daily routine, 
God, I'm asking you to move in them, challenge them, encourage them. And yet, Father, just today, there may be somebody in this room that says, God, I'm out of step with you. Oh, I claimed you as my Savior some time ago, but I just, I just haven't really been walking the walk that I need to walk. Well, God, I think there's a great opportunity for those people to get reconnected to you. We have a cross here in the front for a reason. That's for people to come and bow down before that cross and just pour their heart out to you. God, there's people that have been attending our church for a while that need a church home and they haven't made a committed decision yet to make this their church home for whatever reason, but I pray that maybe they would consider that today. They're here and they're immersed believers in Christ and they've been walking with you and just doing life. If they want to make this church their home, I'd encourage them. Maybe there's a group here that never has claimed you as their Savior. And, Father, they need to know you as their personal Lord and Savior in their life. God, I would ask you to touch them and give them courage to make that a reality. But, Father, we've got to love people. We've got to love more, hate less. We live in a world that's full of hate. We need to, we need to be in a world that's full of love. There's only one way to get it, and that's for you to flow through us to this world. If somebody's ready to decide about that today, help them in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing.